Thank you, Mrs. Toole, and thank you also, Evelyn. Mr. Thompson just reminded me there's someone else we forgot about here to pray. Um, Brother Bob Reisinger, um, as we shared last Sunday after morning, after morning service, he was going to get checked out. He was having some trouble last Sunday, and um, so we thought he might have been having a stroke. I know many of you got the email, but some of you don't get emails, so... Um, Brother Rice here is doing fine. Um, all the tests relating to uh, stroke, anything like that, all came back as negative, okay. Um, had a lot of different tests, and everything came back okay except COVID. So the official medical diagnosis is that he had COVID. And so we want to pray for him. Um, he's not here today, but I've been touch texting with him throughout the week, and um, he's, he's doing okay. Um, so the only symptoms are what we all witnessed last week, apparently. Um, but um, the Lord knows if there's more, and so we want to do want to keep praying for him. So thank you, Brother Thompson, for reminding me of him. And so let's just pause now and lift him up. And I'm sure he's watching, so greetings. Let's pray. Gracious God, we lift up to you, Brother Reisinger. We thank you for his influence in our lives. We thank you for his love for you his love for your word, his love for his family, and his love to share and invest in others. Lord, we just lift him up to you as he recovers. Lord, I pray that you will give him strength for many years. And Lord, I pray that you'll restore him here to our midst. And we trust and acknowledge you um, in his well-being as we pray these things in your name. We also pray that you'll be with me as I open your word. Lord, I pray that we might be admonished and encouraged. Lord, I pray that we might understand our condition before you and that we would be humble as we seek to know you and walk with you. We praise you now and commit ourselves to you in your name. Amen. Well, as we have been continuing over the past few weeks looking at our statement of faith, we have come to, well, the most unpleasant statement of them all. And that is the fall of man. The fall of man. I'd like to read to you our statement of faith regarding this fact. And it includes more than just what we might call the fall of man. We believe that man was created by God in his own image. And by willful disobedience fell from his high and holy state. Consequently, all mankind are sinners, and by nature utterly void of the righteousness required by God, positively inclined to do evil, and therefore under just condemnation to eternal ruin without defense or excuse. As I said, the most uh, tragic of statements, but very important vitally important for us to understand who we are before God. It has to be in follow-up to our previous statements of faith regarding the Bible and the Bible's authority in our lives, as well as who God is. For all that we've just read and learned there is learned from the Word of God, which is inspired by God. And it has to do with who he is, and that's by how which that's how we know who we are and our condition. And 
as we continue on to the next statement regarding the salvation of man, without having the fall of man and the basis in a biblical understanding of that, all of the truths of salvation would fall apart. And so, I'll give you the heads up. This morning is a very unpleasant study, but it does start off rather precious. In fact, incredible. Did you hear the first statement? We believe that man was created by God in his own image. Now, all that follows is very tragic because of how that began. How we began in creation is why the fall is so utterly, terribly tragic and painful. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman created by God, created in the image of God, had no sin, in perfect harmony and relationship with the perfect and holy God. And it is from that place, as the most cherished and treasured of all of God's creation, man fell into sin. Oh, the tragedy. Oh, the tragedy of man's fall. But in summary, I don't want to just leave you with the first state of man and man's fall, but even in my introduction, I want to tell you that the salvation of man is made possible through that same God who created Adam and Eve, and subsequently all of us have come from, he sent His only begotten Son to this earth to become one of us. And He, unlike Adam and Eve and unlike every one of us, Jesus Christ lived a perfect and sinless life. He was born of a virgin, born an exception of the sin curse, and He lived a perfect life, though tempted, though tried, like as we. And in it, He laid down His life for us. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. Our sin was put upon him, though he knew no sin, that the righteousness of God could clothe us. His righteousness could be imputed, could be counted to us. We could be saved from the condemnation. What is spoken of here is the eternal ruin and condemnation because of what Jesus did for us. And so we see in the beginning, all was well, all was good, all was beautiful, all was perfect, until man by willful disobedience sinned and disobeyed God, bringing man to a fall, a fall into sin, bringing all of creation with him into a curse of sin, until Jesus Christ redeemed all. And that's summarized for us in Romans chapter 12. Would you or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 5, which is our key passage in this doctrine. But I'll, I'll, I'll summarize for you as, as I prepared this study. Um, our statement of faith is, is, is very simplistic. 
And I hope that as you read it, you're not looking to the references there to prove every point in the statement of faith. But that's one of the reasons why I felt it's so important for us as a church to go through these statements, because we need to, so to speak, flesh it out. We need to actually see, okay, so this says this, but I don't see all of that in Romans 5. And so we're going to begin in Romans chapter 5 and see what I just described here from the beginning to the salvation of man, from the fall of man to the salvation of man in Romans chapter 5. And we're not going to take time to exegete or to go through and explain all of the significance this morning of Romans chapter 5. I want to present it to you and share it, read it with you as an introduction and an overview of it. And then we're going to go through and look at some other scriptures that tie into it and complement it. But will you follow with me as I read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19? Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that is to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners." So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Brothers and sisters, there is a lot in those verses. And I, I actually struggle and feel amiss in glossing over it all. We do have to come back to Romans chapter 5 and go through this phrase by phrase and verse by verse because it is filled with incredible, delicious meat, the meat of Scripture. But it's summarized, may I serve the milk to you, there in verse 12 and in verse 19. At the beginning and the end of this dissertation regarding the history of man falling into sin, its curse upon mankind, and the culmination of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he's done. It's summarized by looking at verse 12 and verse 19. Wherefore, as by one man that is Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Here is the simple truth. Before Adam, there was no sin. 
when Adam willfully disobeyed God's single and only command, sin entered into the world and death by sin. If we go back to the Garden of Eden and we learn that history, we find that God had created everything, and at the end of the sixth day, God looked at everything he had made, and he said, behold, it is very good. That means there was no sin. But not long after, we learn that Satan, who also was a created being, fell from his glory as an archangel, a ruling angel, all because he lifted himself up and sought to be like God, or rather, above God. And he fell, and when he fell, he was determined to bring God's most cherished, precious creation, mankind created in his image, with him. And Satan, the devil, the adversary of God, came to that perfect garden of Eden and tempted Eve. God had said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat of, but of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The commandment had been given. Eve told the serpent, as how Satan appeared to her, that God had given this command. And his response was, you will not die a liar. By the way, he's been a liar from the beginning. You will not die, for God doth know that in the day you eat of this, your eyes will be opened, and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. And I hope you know the history. Eve looked upon the fruit, and it says that she saw that it was good for food, which is the first tragedy, because it wasn't food. It was forbidden. And faith would not have seen it as food because it wasn't food. It was forbidden. She took it. She ate, being deceived. She gave it to her husband, who knowing full well that he was blatantly disobeying God and was not deceived, ate of that fruit and fell from his high and holy state. He fell from that position of sinlessness, that position of absolute intimacy with God in which nothing was between. And he fell into sin. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. God had said to Adam and Eve that of every tree of the garden they could freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, you shall not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So why did Adam and Eve not die? Well, they did die. Their relationship, their perfect relationship with their creator died that day. Death, in its literal sense, means a separation a separation. Physical death is actually the separation of the body from the spirit. That's what death is, the meaning of it. And so that day they died in that they were separated from God. Their perfect relationship was broken, was, you could say, dead. 
and they deserve to physically die. But God in his mercy, in his grace, in his loving kindness, and in his long suffering showed them mercy. And in their place, instead of them, an animal was killed. An animal's blood was shed. And the skin of that animal was used to clothe Adam and Eve. Beginning here in the beginning, a picture of the fact and reality that there was one who would come, who would deliver them from their sins and not clothe them with animal skins, but clothe them with the righteousness of God. In that day when judgment came and the earth was cursed, actually God made a promise when he spoke to the serpent, when he spoke to Satan. He said to that serpent, I will put enmity. Enmity is what makes people enemies. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And he spoke of the seed of the woman as bruising, or more literally crushing, the head of the serpent. Speaking of absolute, total, and complete victory over Satan and all of his lies. That we call the Proto-Evangelicum, which means the first gospel. The first proclamation of good news was given that day in this bad news world of when all that came in that day was bad news. The first glimmer of good news is, is that there would be a seed of the woman who would one day crush, bruise the head of the serpent. But in that, his heel would be bruised. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, when he died on that cross, yes, his body was tattered. His body was shredded. His body had been tortured beyond comprehension. And yet when he took that sin upon him, my sin, your sin, the sins of all of the world, both now, throughout history, past, and future, he took it upon himself, and he died instead of all of us for all of us. He is what is known here in Romans as the second Adam or the last Adam. The first Adam, the literal man in the Garden of Eden, had fallen into sin and he had brought all creation with him, all mankind with him. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, or the last Adam, he is the one who took all that sin upon himself so that all mankind could be saved from that eternal ruin, that eternal curse, that eternal death. You see, that day that Adam and Eve sinned, they began to physically die. They lived incredible long lives. They didn't have all of the genetic problems we have today. And yet, they did die. Genesis chapter 5 goes through the history of mankind in the early days and speaks of the generation after generation and over and over and over echoes the horrific phrase, and he died, 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 and he died. Every one of us will die. Everyone who has ever lived will die. Well, some of you know of an exception, but we'll just overlook it for a moment. But death reigns, death reigns, death reigns. Death passed upon all men. And it's not just because of Adam's sin. For here we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, for that all have sinned. What is sin? 
Well, we tell the children at Good News Club a very simple definition that is simple but accurate. Sin is anything that we think, anything that we say, anything that we do that breaks God's law and makes God sad. Sin is anything that we think, say, or do that breaks God's law and makes God sad. Sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is disobedience. As I said, we don't have time to exegete all of Romans chapter 5 here today, but that's some of the point of what's going on here is talking about how the law and the relation of how that flow in history took place. This law ultimately reveals to us what sin is. The law condemns us. The law shows us our utter helplessness. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. That means that you do sin like a job, and when you get paid like a job for sin, it's death. You might say, I don't want that job. Hmm, here's the problem. You're born into it. You're born the servant of sin. That's a big problem. Sin passed upon us all the way back from Adam. You're born a servant of sin, and thereby the wages, the payment you get for that job is death. And it's not just physical death of when that body is separated from the spirit, as we'll look later here, it speaks of, in our statement of faith, eternal ruin and condemnation. The Bible speaks of a second death and describes it as a judgment in a place called the lake of fire, hell. Hell is not some byword or curse word. Hell is a real place with a capital H. It is a real place. It is a real place where mankind who are not rescued and saved by Jesus Christ and clothed with his righteousness will spend eternity. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, both physical and eternal condemnation death, the second death, death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And you may say, wait, I'm exempt. Well, another scripture declares, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no exception. All have sinned. Well, again, you know of an exception, some of you. That's what's described here if we keep looking here. I said that Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and then verse 19 kind of gives the book in summary of a lot of theology packed in between. Verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Here is the declaration that all of us are made sinners because of the sin of Adam. That curse is passed from generation to generation to generation. But because of the obedience of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, his sinless, perfect life, his sacrifice for us, his resurrection from the dead, by his obedience to follow through in that many shall be made 
righteous. And so we believe that man was created by God in his own image and by willful disobedience fell from his high and holy state. We're talking about the fall of man and we're talking about sin. But I need to point something else out to you here in our statement of faith that is very important. That many of you, I hope, actually take for granted. You know, most of the world doesn't believe the first statement here. We believe that man was created by God in his own image. Any of you ever been to a natural history museum? Yeah, we have one in Chicago. Um, we had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. a week ago, visit Lawrence, my brother living out there, and we went to the Natural History Museum. Um, it was our favorite museum. Um, except for some major problems. Oh, they have an entire exhibit on the origins of man. And, and my friends, it's not presented as a fairy tale. It's presented as fact. The man evolved from apes. And they present it as historical fact. Well, this is why we must remember our first statement of faith. We believe the Bible. We believe the Bible to be the verbally inspired Word of God, to be inerrant. It's infallible. It's reliable in all that it speaks of. And so we have man's opinion, and we have God's history. Which will we believe? Brothers and sisters, as a member of this church, and confessing this statement of faith, you are disagreeing with all of the scientific experts. I shouldn't say all of them, because there are believing, Bible-believing experts. But the vast majority, the common scientific consensus of our modern world but brothers and sisters, we are the creation of God. Man was created by God on the sixth day as recorded in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Beyond and, a, and, and more significant is that we are not just created by God as everything is. We are created in the image of God. This is why the idea that we are somehow evolved from an ape is blasphemy, is that we are not the image of an ape. We are the image of the living God, which makes us of inestimable value. Every human being, every human being is priceless. Priceless. Because we are created in the image of of God. You might ask, what's that mean? Great question. I'm still trying to figure it out. I've got some thoughts, but I'll tell you the basics of it, the basics of it, the most fundamental basis of that reality that is clearly taught from the beginning to the end of scriptures is this primary fact. Being created in the image of God makes you and I and every human being special and priceless. If you don't understand anything else 
about the reality and significance of being created in the image of God. And the truth of the matter is, I think we're going to spend all eternity learning what that means. If you don't get anything else as to what it means, it means at least that we are priceless in the eyes of God. That's why Jesus came to earth to die for us because his blood is priceless and his blood is the only thing that could buy us back from the bondage and slavery of sin. We are created in the image of God. That's why in our statement we describe Adam and Eve in that place in that garden from their high and holy state. Not only were they priceless in the image of God made after his likeness, but in that day, they were still without sin. And yet they fell. And all creation fell with them. We believe that man was created by God in God's own image. This has some application. In fact, the Bible is crystal clear on some of its application. In Genesis chapter 9, human government is established in the covenant made with Noah in which, for the first time, God says man is so precious and priceless that if man kills and murders man, by man shall that man be executed. By man shall man's blood be shed if there is a crime that is committed against the life of an image bearer one created in the image of God. What's that mean in our modern world? It's a serious crime in murder. Murder is a serious crime. May I say, from the womb to the grave of natural God-ordained death. Murder is a crime. It is a crime against the very image of God. But let me bring it a little bit different in James chapter 3, we are spoken to regarding this little thing right here, <laughs> our mouth, our tongue. And it speaks of how we use our tongue. And in James chapter 3, it says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. The point of James in James chapter 3 in making this observation is saying, wait a minute, be careful how you use your tongue. Cursing a man is cursing one made in the image of God. You dare not do that. Isn't it interesting? From what some people think of the littlest of slips of the tongue to the most horrific actions of the hand in murder are both wrong. Why? because they are against and striking out against the image of God. Man is created by God in his own image. But by willful disobedience, he fell from his high and holy state. Just a note for a scripture, I'll give you a few references to jot down in relation to this statement. It speaks of willful disobedience. Why do we use that? 
Because in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, it makes it very clear that Adam was not deceived. He knew full well what he was doing, and he willfully took that fruit, ate it, and disobeyed God. It was not just a mistake. I don't want to say it that way. It was a willful act of disobedience. And brothers and sisters, that's what sin always is. And a practical application of that reality is to step up and to look at our own lives and call sin, sin. It's not just I made a mistake. It's not just I messed up. It's sin. It is disobedience to God. And we need to be humble and acknowledging that and recognizing it that this is what causes us to fall short of the glory of God. That high and holy state described in our statement of faith is in Romans 3.23 where it declares, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is a scripture, Romans 3.23, describing us falling short of the glory of God. Sin is a serious matter. Looking again at our statement of faith, it continues, consequently, all mankind are sinners. We have seen that in Romans 5.12. As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin is the death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 5.19 says, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. All mankind are sinners. All mankind by nature are utterly void of the righteousness required by God. We fall short of the glory of God. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me back a few pages to Romans chapter 3? There's a lot of things that we could read today, but, and I told you right off, I warned you, this was going to be the most unpleasant of all the statement of faith. Romans chapter 3 is a really hard chapter to read. It's just, ugh. You know why? Because it describes me. And, if you, and as we read it, you might say, well, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. Here's the point. Much of it is us, and all of it we are all capable of. Romans chapter 3. Look with me at verse 10. We were memorizing this. Did, did you notice? We were memorizing this, this in family Bible time. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues have they used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Why our statement of faith declares, consequently, all mankind are sinners, and by nature utterly void of the righteousness required by God, positively inclined to do evil. In fact, if we keep reading, you might say, well, how about the good people, the ones who do keep the law? Well, God anticipated the question. Verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, keeping the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Uh, that means don't try to claim that you're a good person. The moment you try to claim that you're a good person, you'll be judged by the law, and that's just going to condemn you. That's how sin is made known. This is our state. Do you see it? This is our state, and it is very serious. In this statement of faith, we have the phrase, positively inclined to do evil. Now, that's a stumbling block for some. Those who conscientiously read this statement of faith over the years have actually come to me because we ask that the members of our church adhere to our statement of faith. And this little phrase is sometimes troubling to people. You know, especially those like Joel and Anna right now holding their dear, sweet, precious little baby in their arms. And we say, how? What? How can mankind be positively inclined to do evil? Let me give you three key passages that address this issue. Psalm 51.5, Psalm 58.3, and Isaiah 53.6. Let's start there with Isaiah 53.6. I think many of you know it. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Bible speaks of us as sheep going astray. It's an inference, this one, is an inference of the fact that mankind is positively inclined to evil, is positively inclined to go astray. Given here in Isaiah 53, it's repeated in a different way in 1 Peter 2.25, for we were as sheep going astray. But look with me now at Psalm at Psalm 58.3. Remember, I gave you those three references, Psalm 51.5, Psalm 58.3, and Isaiah 53.6. We looked at Isaiah 53.6, as all sheep have gone astray. Psalm 58.3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. If it weren't for the fact that I believe that God's word is inspired, I wouldn't accept that statement. I have seven precious children. 
and I don't hold my precious baby, as I think Joel and Anna probably are doing from home watching this live stream, their few-day-old baby, and think, here is my child as soon as he be born, gone astray. I, in, my, in, in my human logic, I, I, I would not want to accept this. But brothers and sisters, we accept it because God has said it. And God has said it. And so we take it and we understand it. We believe it. That's why we say that all mankind is positively inclined to do evil. Now, this should make a difference. This should not cause us to go, oh, those, those, those crazy Christians, they're just so mean to their children. That's not the point here, actually. The point of this here in this psalm's immediate context is to call out the grown-up wicked people to repent and to turn to God. Do you know what it has as a significance to you as, and me as moms and dads of our precious children? Is to recognize and to believe this truth from the womb and begin to be instructing our children who are positively inclined to, to evil, who are as sheep going astray to point them to the good shepherd from before they can even form words or stand up. Because they need the good shepherd to lead them. In fact, that verse in 1 Peter 2.25 declares, for ye were as sheep going astray. Here a description of everyone, every Christian. You were as sheep going astray. But the rest of that verse and 1 Peter 2.25 says, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So this is not here to go around saying how wicked babies are. No, that's not the point. The point of it is really ultimately that we recognize that these little ones are born into a sin-cursed world where sin has been passed from Adam all the way to that precious child and we begin to teach them from ever so small who the good shepherd is. That's the point. In Psalm 51.5, David declared, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Some had thought this as being that his mother somehow conceived him in an adulterous relationship. There is no evidence of that, but rather that this is Again, teaching what Psalm 58.3 clearly states in that being estranged from the womb and going astray as soon as be born. We believe that man was created in the image of God, that man was created by God in his own image, and by willful disobedience fell from his high and holy state. Consequently, all mankind are sinners and by nature utterly void of the righteousness required by God positively inclined to do evil, and therefore, under just condemnation to eternal ruin without defense or excuse. Look with me again at Romans chapter 5 and verse 18. There it speaks, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one Jesus, the free gift came upon all men unto justification 
of life. You see, because we are all sinners, we are under just condemnation. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 speaks of us and describes us as children of disobedience who had our conversation that is the way that we lived in time past in the lusts of the flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And hear this last phrase in Ephesians 2, 3, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Ooh, I hope that causes you to shudder. Without Jesus, brothers and sisters, we all would be children of of wrath. And if you're here this morning and you have not returned to Jesus, the bishop of your soul, if you have not received his righteousness, you are still children of wrath under just condemnation. It is so sad and so serious. Again, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The rhetorical question was asked in the Old Testament in the days of Abraham. Shall the judge of all the earth do right? I said it's the great rhetorical question because the answer is he absolutely will. And this is justice. And if we were to end here and our statement of faith were to end right after the fall of man and there were no salvation of man, we would be in serious trouble. Praise God, even in this here, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, where it speaks of, by nature, the children of wrath. If, if you turn in your Bibles, I have a suggestion for you to do. Ephesians 2, 3. When you come to that latter part, underline, make bold. Well, you can't make it bold in your Bibles, can you? So underline it, circle it, box it in. The word were, past tense, or earlier in it, had, past tense. Brothers and sisters, we need to be excited about that past tense, because if Jesus had not come to undo what Adam had done, we would remain as children of disobedience under the just condemnation of hell, the lake of fire, a place of eternal fire and judgment. But praise God for Jesus. The second Adam, remember, I keep quoting verses from Romans. And I love Romans because you read the first part of a verse and he's got the second part right there to answer the problems of the first. And I've been quoting over and over and over. I have a chalk talk I do where I, I, I teach and I repeat the phrase, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. And so far this, today, I think that's the, all the part of that verse I've quoted to you, isn't it? I hope all of you, is when I get to that wages of sin is death, I hope all of you in your minds say, but, because you know what? The but is actually there, praise God. But, the wages of sin is death, eternal ruin, the judgment in the lake of fire, the second death. But, 
The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you received that gift? If not, it's free. Jesus has done everything for you to be saved. He simply calls for you to believe in him. Trust in what he has already done. And it's you will have everlasting life. John 3.16 is the glorious truth that answers the fall of man where it declares, for God so loved the world, the world is me. You could put your name in there. It's everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe on him. He has done it all. He's done everything required. He's done all the work. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. He's already done it all. Simply for you to respond to his call, believing in him. Lots of bad news, but praise God, there's good news. And the good news becomes even more precious when we know how bad the bad news is. And so in summary, I would like to read again our statement of faith, the fall of man. We believe that man was created by God in his own image and by willful disobedience, fell from his high and holy state. Consequently, all mankind are sinners and by nature utterly void of the righteousness required by God, positively inclined to do evil and therefore under the just condemnation to eternal ruin without defense or excuse. But let me read the next statement of faith. We believe that man is helpless to save himself and that salvation is a gift of God received solely by faith in the substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus Christ who bore our sins in his own sinless body on the cross, thus exchanging places with the believer. Lord Jesus, we bow to you today and give thanks for what you have done. The news is bad. Our condition is severe, but the news is good in what you, Jesus, have done. I pray, Lord, that each one here today would recognize and confess their condition before you as you describe it. And I pray that everyone here today would trust, believe in you, Lord Jesus. Dear Spirit of God, move in our hearts. Convict of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Lord Jesus, I pray that you draw us to yourself. Draw that unrepentant sinner. And may each one of us walk by faith, trusting you and hoping in you day by day, every day. Lord, we pray these things. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, your precious name, Jehovah saves. Amen.